Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, John, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board. Thank you very much for having me today. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Fantastic. So tell the audience who you are, what are you doing, who do you work for? Uh, my name is John Santee. Uh, I am a senior IT leader. I've been in IT for quite some time. Uh, I currently work with a company called iRhythm Technologies. Fantastic. So I'm going to jump straight in there and ask you about your passions. What's the thing that rocks your boat? What makes you jump out of bed in the morning? So you would think of somebody who is a technology leader, I'm going to come to you with some whiz-bang technology. That's really not it at all. Uh, for me, what got me into this space to begin with and what still drives me, and I'm going to try to not make this sound too corny or cliche, uh, is the helping aspect. The ability to help others do their job, to help others do what they're needing to in their life, that is the passion that drives me. The fact that right now, professionally, I'm getting to do that with technology, that's just a perk. The Getting to play with all the gizmos and the gadgets, but ultimately being able to help others is the passion that pushes me both personally and professionally. Beautiful. That's really great. And speaking of family being important to you, it's great to hear that. And being a tech leader, I can imagine you're quite busy. There's a lot of demands on your time. How do you yes, find yes. that balance? Uh, what's there any tips around finding that balance between family and work? So we hear people talk a lot about work-life balance, and I've become part of the group that I really don't believe that terminology applies. Uh, I like to think of it much more as work-life flow, especially now that we've had the pandemic, we've seen this very significant shift in people either working from home 100% or a hybrid model where work stops and personal time starts and then the inverse of that happens, it's very much a continuum now. You know, people are not waking up, driving into an office, starting their day, driving home, stopping their day. There, you get up, you're doing something for work and then you're doing a load of laundry and then you're doing something for work and then you're helping a kid with homework. It's this flow that you've got to be able to maintain. Mm -hmm. The key piece around that is understanding that there still needs to be balance. It's very easy for work, especially to consume an entire day plus some mm. and understanding that as you're flowing back and forth from work to personal, from work to personal, understand that you still need to have a boundary at some point of this is my time and getting the other things kind of out of the way and making sure you've got those clear starts and stops. I love the idea of work-life flow. And coming now back onto your leadership, your tech leadership, how do you roll as a leader? What's your style, John? I very much believe that I exist to make sure that my teams can do their job well. My teams are made up of very highly motivated, very highly skilled individuals. Whenever I decided to take on a leadership role, I stepped back away from being that hands-on technical person. And now I have to rely on them to be able to do what I know they can do. These guys have fantastic ideas. They have great motivation to do really wonderful things with all of the technology that we've got out there. 
I need to make sure that they understand that as a company, we have specific sets of resources, we have specific sets of goals, and how their passion for all of cool tech can align with those resources and those goals. That That's my job. I'm giving them that direction to point. At that point, I then have to listen to them. They've got to come to me with, this is what we should be doing. Yep. And I go yep. advocate for that. When we make a decision on something that we are going to do, I advocate for them to have the resources and the correct time and the correct personnel. Yes. All the yes. while, I'm supporting these guys. I, I'm not telling them what to do. I'm listening to what we do. And making sure, yeah. of course, that it then aligns with what as a company and as an organization are the goals and the objectives. Yeah, I love it. And this brings me on to something that we discussed offline, which is around the concept of servant leadership. And I think I loved your perspective on this. And just to say, what you've described sounds to me like servant leadership. You're there to support. It does. I have a little bit of difficulty now with that term because it's been so overused. People try to apply it to any form of leadership, anything that they bring to the table. Right. The core of that concept very much is what I believe. And I think it's what a lot of other leaders in this uh, in this arena also strive for. Mm. But I try to be very careful, again, just because of how it's been overused and overplayed and really applied to areas where anytime somebody does something for someone else, they're trying to say, oh, well, that's servant leadership. Well, no, that, that's not what it is. Right. It's much more about how are you supporting everybody else and where it's needed you're leading from the front you're you're deflecting what might be coming at them you're making sure that you're showing the way but then the rest of the time you're there as the supporter making sure that everybody can do what they need to do it's an interesting take I, i'm hearing what you're saying and i, I kind of see where sometimes when we label something we then try to kind of fit that and it's not always appropriate and i think that's the problem is that people think well that's what you need to be so as mentioned john being a tech leader is a challenging thing. And I'm always interested in what keeps our tech leaders up at night, what really works on them. What's the thing that keeps you up at night? So I could give this as kind of a two-pronged answer. Uh, the first one is gonna be one that's fairly obvious. Anybody that's in technology that doesn't say security and security risks keeps them up at night is probably not being honest with you or with themselves. The wealth of data, the wealth of new technology, the flooding pace of new technology makes it very difficult to stay ahead of all of the security concerns and privacy concerns, compliance concerns. That is something that it's always a cat and mouse game. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the other people on the other side tend to always be a step ahead and we feel like we're on the IT side, we're playing catch up with it. So understanding how do we keep everything operating? How do we keep everything secure? And how do we do so in a manner that keeps privacy and compliance in mind as well? is really, really difficult. It's not fun. It's not what you get in technology to worry about. <laughs> and it's something that it really does drive this constant state of, are we where we need to be? Yes. The other side of it for me then is the personnel side. With all of this change, all of this growth, all of this new tech, and I would be remiss if I didn't throw out the term that everybody's talking about right now, chat GPT. There's this concern of, oh my gosh, is this going to take away my job? Is this going to take away my profession? Is this going to get rid of what I've spent my entire life trying to do? Helping my teams understand what the next new technologies are going to be, which ones are real versus which ones are temporary, and helping them to navigate their skills and their career growth mm -hmm. 
is something that really is a big concern. I, I want my teams to know that what they're doing is safe and that they're preparing for what they need to be doing next. That takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And if I'm wrong, if I pick something and I say, oh, this isn't going to be around in five years, and it instead becomes the thing five years from now, I have now affected the lives of these people who were coming to me asking for advice on what the next step should be. Mm. So that really is something that weighs on me as an important responsibility. Yeah, I love it. I can imagine trying to get the technology that you're working on and what your people are working on and developing their skills on is the right thing. That, that, that's exactly it. And, and you know, everybody always says, oh, it just keeps coming faster. And that's not cliche. That's true. Mm. The acceleration of this new technology and what some of these new uh, AI processing models are going to allow us to do. it I, I used the term previously in speaking with somebody. This is a true seismic level. Yeah. What we see coming in the next 20 to 30 years is going to be completely different than what we've been doing the past 20 or 30 years. I am not a programmer. I am not a coder. I was able to use one of these tools to have an app that I could, if I had gotten it published, have on my phone. And I did it in about 45 minutes. Wow. Yes. That is a massive change in how we do things. Yeah. And that's actually reminded me of a question that I should have asked earlier on, which I haven't. And I'm going to ask it now. Is what's your journey been like to tech leadership? Because I've forgotten now you mentioned offline. It's quite an interesting mm -hmm. one. Yeah, I had one where uh, in school, I was studying computer science, which at the time meant you were studying programming and coding and algorithms. I got about halfway through my degree and realized that I did not like, I just didn't enjoy it. I loved the problem solving. I did not like the physical act of coding and programming. Mm. So as I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with this very expensive degree path that I've been on, I simply by chance started working with my university's help desk. And that was where I got the spark for helping. I was getting to go out and answer questions for people and help solve problems that they were having with their computers. And the fact that I was getting to do all of this with technology was just a really cool perk. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. all right, yes, I went out there, I helped them. I got this huge, you know, endorphin rush from being able to help somebody. What's the next person I can be able to help? Nice. And that started me on that path. Um, I did that for quite a few years then. I was in help desk roles in various infrastructure and internal engineering type roles. As I was going through those, I ended up doing a lot of project work. And I, on those teams, I ended up kind of being the face of the team. I was always the guy of, Hey, John, go, go give that update to the executive team. Hey, John, go go call that vendor. The, because I like doing that. I was very comfortable going out and being in front of them, whereas a lot of the people I worked with just wanted to do their technology. Mm. That was ultimately kind of what led to my shift with several mentors and several leaders that I worked with saying, hey, you, you should go over to the other side of the table, so to speak. You, you should look at leading these teams. And I did that without a really deep understanding of what that transition is going to look like. And you, you and I were speaking earlier, one of the most difficult things that nobody, and this is outside of technology, this is anyway, when you are a really strong individual contributor, really good at that thing that you do, and then you get asked to now lead people who are good at that thing that they do, that is a very different skill set. Mm. It's a different way of thinking. It is a different way of doing things. And not a lot of organizations do a very good job of equipping people with those skills that they need to make that transition. 
nor do they give them the insight on what that's going to do to them internally. When you have to give up those individual contributor skills to become a better leader, Mm -hmm. that is a difficult thing. That is very uncomfortable. You know, we all talk about how change is always uncomfortable. That's a positive change, but it's a difficult one. And it's not discussed enough, along with not getting the leadership tools and the leadership training they need, just what that's going to feel like making that change and the thoughts you're going to have and the doubts you're going to have. Those are things that we need to be doing a better job of equipping our young people who are transitioning from individual excelling contributors to leadership roles. Absolutely. I think you shine a light on a very, very important topic. I totally get where you're coming from, John. And have you seen any approaches that have worked really well here or maybe exercise something yourself where you've helped that transition? Really, the the number one thing that helps the most is finding somebody that leads the way you want to lead teams and using mentors, finding somebody that can be a mentor. Yes. Uh, over the years, I've had official mentors, people that I've gone to and said, hey, I think that I could learn a lot from you. I understand that it's asking of your time, but could I work with you to help as I go through these problems and these changes? I've also been very fortunate in companies where I've had very strong leadership ahead of me. Mm -hmm. People who just by watching how they operate, I was able to learn how to do things better and learn how to do things in a way that would help the teams that I was ultimately going to lead. Yes. Through all the classes and all the books and all the things that I've done, They're fantastic. I highly encourage you go read and you go really learn up on different styles and different techniques, but nothing for me has eclipsed good mentorship. I love it. I think I totally agree with you. Word up to that. And uh, we'll cover some of the books, but I think this is a really important thing, having other people as demonstrators of what works and maybe what doesn't work as well, which is really good. Which brings me now onto a question around working with teams and getting the best out of teams. You've described some really great gems earlier on of how you're going about that. Any other tips around getting your teams to be powerhouses of of delivery and and creating customer-centric outcomes? You have to listen. And you've heard me mention this before. You have good people on your team. Good people have good ideas. You have to get them to a point where they trust you enough to share those ideas. That involves, whenever you come into an organization, you have to listen a lot more than you do. You've got to understand the people that you have there, the personalities that you have there. You've got to look for where things are working really well, where there might be conflict and where there might be difficulties. Listening to all of that, taking all of that in, and then coming into it with a clearly defined plan of, okay, how do we take everything that I've learned now that they're just telling me in terms of the day-to-day operation of and turn that into change that helps them continue to move faster. Yes. No one specific trick to that. That's going to be kind of unique to each individual case. But as you're listening and as you're taking it all in, you're going to quickly see areas where you can help them move forward quickly, or you can find ways to help with conflict resolution. Mm. Nothing more important than that. Uh, There's lots of little bits and pieces that we could get into afterwards in terms of how do you align strategy with technology and how do you get teams to you know, work together and bring those ideas to you even faster? You know, those all become subsets of earning that trust, getting people to talk to you and then listening when they do. Absolutely. 
And that's a really good point. This is a topic that I've been discussing with some other fellow leaders as well around the art of listening. We think that we all listen. Not many people really listen. And you can tell the impact that it has on the space when we really do open up to hear somebody out. Yeah, absolutely. And we've all heard this. Listen to understand, listen to respond. And that is a hard lesson to learn. I thought I was good at it earlier in my career until I really started to dial in. And even when I wasn't trying to talk over people anymore, when I kind of got past that initial hurdle, my brain was still talking over people. Even though I wasn't speaking in here, in my head, I was talking to myself about, well, here's what I'm going to say as soon as they stop. And getting past all of that to a point where you can shut your mind down, you listen to what they're saying. Yes. That's tough. And the, the other piece of that that people don't understand is you have to get comfortable with silence. To listen to somebody else, process what they've said, there's going to be a gap of half a second, one second, two seconds. People get really, really uncomfortable when there's that silence. Yes. And helping yes. others understand that that's not a bad thing. That silence is allowing something much more meaningful to be put forward than the interruptions ever could be. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. So here you go, John. I've got a question here around leading remotely. I imagine you're leading remotely yourself. Uh, Absolutely, I am. Uh, My team is 100% remote. I've been very fortunate that I have led teams that were remote in one aspect or another for probably close to 10 years now. So even before the pandemic, I was in organizations that uh, kind of embrace and foster this idea of having the best talent wherever they may be, be part of your teams. Uh, It's very, very different from leading in person. My natural style is very much the leadership by walking around. And I was just kind of wandering and having those open conversations. Obviously, you can't do that in a Teams and Zoom-based world. But you've got to modify that and adapt it. You've got to be in constant contact with those remote teams. You've got to be checking in. You've got to make sure that you're talking to them and, and making sure that everybody feels involved as a part of the team. It's very easy for somebody working remote to be highly siloed. They focus on their task and are not doing anything outside of that. Helping everyone remember that they're part of a bigger team and they're working towards a bigger goal is key. And that is, we nobody wants more meetings, hmm. but have to have those touch points. You have to have good one-on-ones. You have to have good team meetings. And you've got to make sure that everybody is working together. Everybody is collaborating. Uh, I really encourage my teams to have meetings without me as well, uh, where they're talking to each other. Uh, we all know that, oh my gosh, the boss is on the call. I've got to like, okay, button it up. I've got to be more serious. And as much as I try to uh, tell my guys, no, no, you don't have to do that. Ultimately, I want them to get together on calls outside of me to where they're chatting with each other and they're collaborating yes. and they're joking and they're team building mm-hmm. with their groups and with themselves as well. All of that has to continue. Just because you're not a cube away from somebody doesn't mean that you're not a call away from somebody. Yes. So make sure that all of that is happening. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think this remote working is, um, we're adapting, we're on a learning curve. It sounds like you're a bit of a veteran with this. You've done it for many years, but it does make you want to be a bit more thoughtful about how you approach stuff because some of the information that's available in person and in the company, if you're kind of local to each other, that isn't available, those signals, those subtle signals and indications of what's happening. 
That is very much true. While it's often portrayed as a negative thing, the, the office gossip, the office politics reveal a lot about yes. the real strategies that are going on. And it, it can be very difficult in a remote world to pick up on those. And that's where, again, the more conversations that you're having with people, the more clarity that you can have on it. Understanding that people can't be in meetings all the time. Even if you do that, there's no time to get work done. But still finding ways to have those conversations, it, just because it's not on the calendar doesn't mean you can't hop on a call and chat with somebody. Yes, that's right. So, John, one of the topics that is kicking around with a lot of tech leaders in this world of remoteness is augmenting your teams, getting the right blend of insourcing, outsourcing or in, in-house teams. What's your thoughts on that, sir? So, yeah, that's something that as a technology leader, that's going to be a piece of what you have to go with. We are in a world where a lot of times people utilize the term outsourcing as kind of a bad word. It's seen as this negative thing. And it doesn't have to be that way. For me, I see extreme value in outsourcing in two very specific areas. The first one for me is I am strongly behind outsourcing risk. If I can put the risk of a task or of monitoring or of an activity onto a third party group, that wants to partner with us because that's what they specialize in and they can do it better than my in-house teams can do. I am all in favor of that. It makes so much sense to put that risk with somebody whose sole focus is managing that specific risk. It's much easier to do that than it is to try and build something like that with an internal team. Yes. Another area where it makes so much sense, we've spoken kind of a little bit to this acceleration of the pace of technology. There are going to be a lot of times when you are asked as part of a new strategy or as part of new growth to do things that you cannot find the talent locally or there within the scope of being able to do permanent hires fast enough. Hmm. But there's going to be third party groups that once again, that is what they do. Yeah. That technology, that space, that advancement is where their focus is really dialed in and they're doing it better. So working with a third-party team that can accelerate that innovation in a way that you couldn't do if you were trying to build it internally is a really critical piece to being able to accomplish as much as you can with as little as possible. Great, great advice. Great topic. Thank you for sharing that, John. And another question I have here is around organizational growth. I can imagine you've worked for some companies that have had some pretty amazing growth and the growing pains that come with that. Any tips around how that can be mitigated, things that you can put in place that make that journey a little bit smoother, maybe? So I've, I've been in quite a few organizations that love to put the term hyper growth in front of <laughs> what they were going through. The piece for me, as I look at my teams and as I try to help give influence up the ladder whenever a company is going through that is growth must be done responsibly. You have to understand is this a very specific point in time growth where we need short-term temporary resources? Or is this true organizational growth where three years, five years, however many years down the road, we are going to be a brand new organization at a brand new scale? That has to then shape how you bring in resources, how you bring in people to your company and to your teams. Things that are very point in time, that's where it's great to partner up with somebody that is doing that specific task. But if it's going to be a true long-term company changing growth, then that's where you start building those teams. 
Uh, anytime I hear about a company that says, you know, they're a thousand people and, oh, we're going to hire 2000 people next. That's always really difficult for me because most of those companies aren't going to understand how hard that growth is going to be. Mm. If you've been this smaller company and now you're scaling up that fast, you know, we all hear the term growing pains. That's going to be growing, just excruciating pains <laughs> trying yes, to go yeah. through all of that, where if you can do that at a bit more of a controlled pace, it's going to be far more sustainable over the long term. Uh, it's really kind of you know, an interesting topic right now because you know, unfortunately we are seeing a lot of changes in personnel at a lot of companies, uh, both up and down. And the companies that over the last several years added thousands and thousands of employees are the ones that now that we come out the other side of this are eliminating thousands and thousands of employees. Yes. Whereas the companies that did it in a very controlled, very sustainable manner are still growing in that very controlled, very sustainable manner. Mm -hmm. And I subscribe very much so to that letter ideology building and growing. Absolutely. And speaking to one of our previous guests and something I align to is that at the end of the day, these people that are hiring, there's people at the end of it and to be taking them on and affecting their lives and then dumping them like they just weren't needed. And there's a, there's a human impact to this. And I understand there's a balance to be struck here and it's very it's a very difficult decision, but uh, you point to this caution of uh, being a little bit more thoughtful about how you do that. Brilliant. One of the best things that probably ever happened to me as a leader is uh, I did get downsized from a company where I was brought in, you know, I was going to be helping with some growth. I was going to be help leading new areas and a change in the business happened. And I was on the receiving end of one of those. I'd read about it. I'd heard about it. I had honestly, I had had to downsize people whenever offices were closed in the past. But to be on the other side of that gave me a very appreciation for it. Yes. And I will forever, for the rest of my career, be infinitely more mindful of how those things need to happen. That's great to hear. Thank you, John. So as we come towards a closing arc of our time together, I've got some nice warm questions for you. Any advice to aspiring tech leaders? You've already given some great advice already. Any additional advice that you'd like to give them to help them along their journey? If you're not comfortable with learning, get comfortable with learning and <laughs> learning faster. Uh, most people, once they've gotten to that point, had this idea of uh, they, they like to learn new things, but learn more and learn faster yes. through whatever medium works for you, whether that be reading books or listening to podcasts or going to news or going to events and conferences, really embrace that. Learning something new, taking the time to learn some new skill, new idea, new thought, new process is never ever a waste great great advice and on the topic of books or podcasts or films even any that have been instrumental in your journey so i i read a lot uh, i read probably a couple of books a month i have one that i keep coming back to that when i think about what really changed how i approach things uh there is a book called extreme ownership uh, if you're not familiar with this one, it was written by two men who are ex-Navy SEALs. Whenever the book was introduced to me, I was thinking, okay, military guys, lots of machismo, this is probably not going to be for me. But I got into the book and the way they brought the lessons of what they did to be successful in the battlefield, which by successful, I mean survive. <laughs> and then, yes. uh, of course, also you know, achieve certain mission goals. But the way they then applied that to how, as a leader, you should own what happens within your teams and within your company 
it was really brilliant. Like I found myself constantly with every chapter being surprised at how the lesson they were putting on paper, while obvious, wasn't obvious. It wasn't something that you just naturally think about. And mm -hmm. that is a book that I have ultimately gone back and reread several times because it just has such solidly good lessons in it. Nice. I love it. Yes, it's not one I've read, but I've heard of it. And I will maybe raise that up my reading book list uh, order and priority. And here we go. It's a fun one. I'm going to offer you a wish from the tech genie. I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second. What would you wish for, for your leadership, for your industry maybe, or for your teams? If I was going to get a wish from a genie, I would ask them for a technology crystal ball. <laughs> yes. I want that. I want to sit down and say, okay, this new technology that everybody's talking about, yeah. is it yeah. real or is it a fad? And I want that crystal ball to give me the answer. That yeah. way I don't spend years and millions of dollars going down a path that ends up being something that just fizzles away. If we could get that, the advantages that we would have as technology. That's right, <laughs> yes. It'd be just mind-blowing because we've all got horror stories of going down the wrong path, picking the wrong technology. And that that would be it. Just give me that crystal ball where I can say, is this real? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. I've got a few of those crystal balls in my back shelf here. I'll get one in the... Uh, in oh, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Shift that my way. Yeah, <laughs> you know. ball isn't working. I tried it. It's not getting me where I need to be. And you're absolutely right, because we end up spending a lot of energy and effort and time and, uh, and sanity uh, going down certain rabbit holes. And it's, and it's at some point, you know, you need to back up. You know, mm -hmm. you've got too far down and this isn't going anywhere. And I guess that's an art in itself, knowing when to stop going down a rabbit hole and going, yeah, we've got to back up. That now. really is a big one. And that could be a whole other topic of conversation. Just understanding, you know, you've committed to something, you're behind it, you probably advocated for it at some step. And then to be able to come up and say, nope, this was wrong. This yeah. isn't going to work. We need to change directions. Yes. That's yes. really humbling. Uh, anybody that's in an organization that within, of course, limits, embraces that and, and allows you to do that, you're in a special place. And I just want to make sure that anybody who hears that kind of understands that you don't always get that. So if you've got that kind of support in an organization, really cherish it. Brilliant. Love it. Great. And the final full stop to the podcast, what's your final key takeaway that you'd like to gift the tech leader audience listening to this podcast? We're all doing the best we can do. None of us are perfect. None of us have got every answer. None of us have got every response. So don't beat yourself up. Don't be too hard on yourself. Go out there, be the best that you can be for your teams, be the best that you can be for yourself. And just know at the end of each day, you've done what you can do and be proud of it. Brilliant. Love it. A great note to finish on, John. Thank you for your time. It's been great having you on CTO Confessions. Thank you so much for having me. And finally... Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, 
wherever you are in the world from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.